the island is the ideal place to start beekeeping because it's one of only a couple places left on the entire planet that isn't affected by the varroa mites or colony collapse disorder. So it's a really healthy population of bees, which means that it's a, it's a lot easier to keep bees here than in a lot of places. And also by keeping bees, you're helping to support that population because who knows, we may need to help out the rest of the world in the future. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. That was Tanya Anderson from Lovely Greens, who joins us today. She makes lots of soaps and cosmetics. She's a beekeeper on the Isle of Man. Um, and you'll also be able to catch her on BBC Gardener's World fairly soon. Um, so well worth checking her out there, as well as obviously listening to my interview with her. Now, I join you on the nursery. It's a really blowy day. I'm not sure whether you can hear that, but the really, really blowy. And I join you from where we keep all our scented drones. Um, they've been fantastic plants this year really really good they featured in every single one of our RHS displays um, and they're fantastic at home as well they also could be used as a house plant especially if you put them on a windowsill or something like that so really really good you've got lemon scents rose scents and and all different scents as well as the fantastic flowers as I'm watching now, the bees are hopping from from one one flower to the next. Um, so yeah, really fantastic plant. So if you haven't got a scented geranium in your garden or in your house, well worth looking into. So without further ado, let's start the podcast. Hi, you're listening to Plants and Me, the podcast that is all about plants, gardening, and the people who are passionate about them with your host, Alan Lodge. Welcome to the podcast, Tanya. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. It's really nice you can join us. Now, you're joining us from the Isle of Man. That's right. And if people aren't aware where that is, it's uh, in the middle of the Irish Sea, so between England and Ireland. I get a lot of people who think it's the Isle of Wight. No, <laughs> it's the Isle <laughs> of Man. And you're, um, that's not an Isle of Man accent, am I right? You are right. I'm American-born, but I've lived in Britain since 2006. Okay. What made you move over? I was living in Germany beforehand, and uh, it was a job. So I moved to London. Okay. So you've you've moved out of London now? Yes. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I moved to the Isle of Man in 2010, and it was kind of a... A chance decision had never heard of the place before and I absolutely love it so this is uh, my forever home excellent so tell us a little bit about you gardening and what you do so when when I moved to the Isle of Man in 2010 I had just basically exited my old career so I used to design graphic interfaces on mobile phones <laughs> and uh, living here on the island it didn't give me that opportunity to continue in that in that career if I didn't want to have to commute back to London or wherever. So I had a little bit of time off and I got an allotment, the beekeeping course, and I started exploring all of these topics that I've always been interested in, even if it's been at the back of my mind. I grew up that way, had a bit of a hiatus, and then I just plunged into it. And I started my blog around the same time and it was just this little baby website and I would be overjoyed to get you know 
eight views a day. <laughs> but it was it was some place for me to be able to, I guess, make contacts locally. I didn't know anyone on the island or you know anyone really who enjoyed gardening either. And over the years, it's just grown into something a lot bigger. Is that what you'd always hoped for? No, I'd not planned for it at all. It was just more of a hobby at first. But as I said, I wasn't actually working in my old career. So it was something for me to focus my energy and efforts on. And I was able to use my skills from from my past life to, I guess, bring it up to the standard that um, I guess is, is helpful to people and inspirational as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's a great website to to visit and look around. Now, looking over it, you concentrate quite a lot on or appear to concentrate quite a lot on soaps and beauty products. How did you get into that? When I was still living in London and and kind of dabbling in in gardening and uh, making some small beauty products, I kind of got hooked. And then when I moved to the Isle of Man, I taught myself to make soap and I started using herbs and flowers that I was growing in the allotments. And with me keeping bees as well, I all, all of a sudden had quite a large stock of honey and beeswax to use. And so it was a way of me combining all those aspects into something that was really beautiful and useful and productive. And for me, the important thing with gardening is, of course, to enjoy it, you know, even from an aesthetic uh, point of view, but also to create something that's useful, that's going to add to your lifestyle, whether you're eating it or using it to make beauty products or other creative ways to use your garden produce. Okay. And you do workshops for making soaps and things like that? Yes, those are quite popular. So I, I host at least one a month. And I also do a few gardening workshops. The next one that's coming up is August 18th, and that's a succulent terrarium workshop that's here on the island. But yes, the, the soap workshops are also very, very popular. So what is the, so you're making soap at home. Uh, what is the basis of soap for, because I don't know, to be honest. Soap, the, the, the very base ingredients that you need are oils, so fats, and a caustic solution, and that can be sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide. And it goes through a chemical process, a natural chemical process, and becomes natural soap. But you can add all of these other additives into it to scent it, to add natural color, to add therapeutic properties, and that's where the garden comes into play. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And anyone who hasn't visited your website, when I first clicked on it, I'd say they look more like food than they do soap. And, and that's <laughs> from a compliment point of view. <laughs> I, You know, I don't want to be sexist here, but I used to have a farmer's market stall and I would have men approach from a distance and I knew it. You know, they spotted my my stall and they'd walk up and oftentimes I'd walk right away. and But I had a couple guys come in and tell me that they thought it was fudge at first. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I, I know exactly what they mean. Uh, but that's <laughs> when people say it looks good enough to eat, That's that's got to be a positive, surely. Yes, excellent. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, so you start making these soaps and you've, um, you're then starting to add stuff from the garden. Do you remember your first thing you added from the garden? My first attempt was making uh, peppermint soap 
And that was the first batch of soap I ever tried making, and I failed miserably. <laughs> so it was it was uh, dried peppermint leaves along with many other things. But I kept, I persevered basically, and so it was trying again and again and again. You know, finally, finally taught myself how to make soap. But there's all different types of things that you can use, and uh, calendula flowers is is one of my favorites because they're one of the few flowers that will hold the color in soap, so in that pH. You can add lavender buds, rose petals, all different types of dried flowers to the tops of your soap, or, and sometimes you can stir them in. Poppy seeds add a little bit of exfoliation. There's loads that you can add. Okay, and I imagine uh, you're, selling, you're selling the soaps direct to people, are you? I sell direct, and I also sell through various shops here on the island. So I've got, uh, I stock seven different shops. And yeah, but the bulk of it comes through my websites. And I sell through another website called Not On The High Street as well. Excellent. Brilliant. It sounds like it's going really well. Yeah, I think so. Good, good. Um, You mentioned beekeeping. Um, You obviously got into that at an early stage when you moved to the island, did you? Yes, I did. And the island is the ideal place to start beekeeping because it's one of only a couple places left on the entire planet that isn't affected by the varroa mites or colony collapse disorder. So it's a really healthy population of bees, which means that it's a, it's a lot easier to keep bees here than in a lot of places. And also by keeping bees, you're helping to support that population because who knows, we may need to help out the rest of the world in the future. Yeah, definitely. And do you notice, I mean, by the sounds of it, you did it fairly early on, so maybe you haven't got a comparison, but do you notice a benefit to the garden with the bees being there? You know, this is the thing is if you have hives near your garden, even if they're really close, you sometimes won't see a noticeable difference in the number of bees there. They're there, but bees, when they fly out of their of their hive, they can range up to a mile and a half in all directions. And they'll go to where the food source is. So younger bees, they'll stick a little bit closer to home, but older bees, so up to six weeks old in the, in the summertime, they can range a huge distance. So I would say that they're there. I know that they're there, but the, there are bees from other colonies all around that are coming to the garden and the allotment as well. Interesting. And how big is Siala Man? Well, in miles, I'm not quite sure, but you can drive from one end to the other in about an hour, hour and a half. Okay. And there's about 80,000 people here. Okay, so there's enough for you to uh, to sell lots and lots of soap, which is good. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Lots of <laughs> lots of tourists. <laughs> yeah, and of course you have the um, the TT there as well, which must bring a lot of people in. Oh yes, the island. I think it, it the population it increases by half, something like that during the oh. TT. So that, that wow. two to three week period. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, so make sure you sell them loads of soap. They must get dirty sitting in those fields. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, just before we hit record, you mentioned to me that you're going to be on Gardener's World next week. 
That's right. It's quite exciting. I just got the word from the BBC yesterday, although we, we filmed over a month ago. They, wow. quiet, they quietly came over with their presenter, Francis Tophill, and visited me at the allotment. Okay. And how did they find out about you? It was through their research team. So if you're watching the program right now, Frances has a, a new allotment and she's been visiting allotments around the country to get inspiration for her own space. And she's interested in growing dye plants and growing uh, plants for wildlife and supporting wildlife. And she's also really interested in growing plants for skincare and uh, medicine. So that's how they found me. Hmm, interesting. And do you think there's more interest in that type of growing? Because we're, uh, as a nursery, we're herb growers. Uh, we grow lots of chilies as well. Um, and we certainly noticed a swing towards uh, things that are slightly unusual that perhaps you can still use in cooking, but traditionally are more, let's say, medicinal type herbs. Do you think that's become more popular recently? There is a massive trend in getting more involved in making. So I see it with myself. That's why I started offering workshops is that people are starting to become aware of manufactured goods, manufactured food, and they want to have their own place in creating it for themselves. And so people will take workshops, they'll go online to find resources, and they're dabbling in growing plants. So they're getting started gardening because they're interested in this topic. I think it's fabulous. And also people that are more seasoned gardeners as well are starting to take interest in it as well. So I, I think it's a fabulous way to um, get more people in the garden. Yeah, definitely. And what I find from both uh, talking to people and interviewing people on the podcast is that often people who don't come or maybe didn't grow up in the industry are often slightly better at communicating how to get started in it because they've been through it um i think of myself i grew up on a, a nursery that was already 40 years old um so clearly i got taught at one point but growing up in it you just do it the same way you don't necessarily learn as a beginner might learn yeah that, that's that's right and um you have your way of doing things and that's great all that experience can lend itself but the fact that you're even thinking about maybe catering for this market uh, maybe offering herbs that people can use to make tea to make medicines and beauty that is a, that is a service that is going to do well for your own business but also provide a service to people who are really interested in doing it as well Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So someone who's sitting at home listening to you thinking, oh, I'd quite like to give soap making uh, a go. Have they got all the stuff at home already? So, well, some things for sure. Uh, so they'll have pots, they'll have spatulas, bowls, things like that. The most essential tool for making soap is a an immersion blender, so a stick blender. And most of the ingredients you can either pick up locally at a health food shop, at the supermarket, or even in places like Boots. So, but there's the best place to get ingredients for making soap would actually be to go through a, a, a specialty retailer. So there's several online in the UK, and you can pick it up and have it delivered to your door. Okay, excellent. And um, they can go onto your your website and and have you got recipes on there? 
do I have recipes? <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a, a very very popular four part soap making series. So that goes through the ingredients. So talking about the ingredients you'll use, equipment and safety, and then I share in the third part basic soap recipes, and then the fourth part is the full soap making process. And then along with that, I have dozens of different soap recipes on my website, and a lot of them use herbs from the garden or flowers from the garden excellent and and would i be right in thinking uh, it's still the traditional um uh is additive the right word the traditional additive like like lavender perhaps that is the most popular lavender is popular but i think people are quite interested in unique types of soap so using different things like alkanet roots to tint your soap purple or madder root, uh, which is also, a, in, this is a plant you can grow in the UK, madder, it's used in wool dyeing, but you can also use it in soap to tint your, your soap naturally pink. So having these kind of unique aspects, I think is really what is driving my ideas with soap making you know, above and beyond. Okay, interesting. Um, and as well as the soaps, uh, you you make and produce other products? I do. So I, I have a stock of beeswax. So I, I make a lot of beeswax lip balms and those that's my product that I sell the most of. They're really popular. I send them all over the world. Uh, then after that, it's a soaps and I make uh, skincare, so some body balms and foot balms and uh, gift sets, candles, loads of things. Okay, so so take us for a normal day in your garden. Are you spending all day out there and then then going back in and cooking cooking or or making up these things? The best thing about what I do is that it's always different. So there's some days that I'm going to be inside all day making products or working on the website or working on social media or doing tech stuff, and then other days I will just be out in the garden all day. And then other days it'll be a mixture. It just depends on what needs to get done. The downside of what I do is that I don't have any downtime. This is my life. <laughs> this is uh, this is work and my free time as well. But I love it that way. Yeah, there's certainly worse ways to spend your time in a garden or yeah. or working on your own business. So I think when it's uh, when it's your own, it, it does make it slightly easier. But uh, but you're right, escaping can be tricky. Yeah, and, and I think that that's an, another message that I like to put out there as well, is that if you if you have the initiative and you are willing to look at unconventional ways of making a living, you can actually use your passion for gardening or beekeeping or anything else to actually create a business of your own as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually, we're, we're right in the middle of a, a time where, where that's easier than it ever has been with social media and things like that and i know people who have started little projects and they haven't even got a website um just just put it out there and and away it goes yeah i mean some people you know they'll put it up on their facebook page or or their you know whatever and it will go crazy but for the most part putting up a website marketing yourself understanding you know who you who you're actually creating content for so helping or products etc and gosh the internet has been amazing i just i i wouldn't be able to do this without the internet i mean youtube i have a, a very popular youtube channel 
And I just think back to the days of pre-internet and, you know, there, there must have been so many amazing people in the past that just never were able to share their knowledge. And, and now it's just free for everyone to take advantage of. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, made a massive, massive difference. Um, and it's interesting how it can give you access to, oh, wait, actually just think about this podcast. Um, people wouldn't necessarily be able to, to hear what you're you're talking about and and that's the case for for lots and lots of people out there yeah absolutely um you mentioned on one of your blogs that you did some growing of vegetables with prisoners that's right um that's going to actually feature in grow your own magazine next month as well Uh, but it's on my website and my youtube channel and for years i'd heard about this program at the local prison that prisoners were growing their own veg and i'd actually seen some of the veg because they enter it annually in a small horticultural show and they usually scoop up all the awards (laughs) and so i was finally able to organize a tour and kind of see what they were doing and it's such a great idea and the prisoners that i spoke to who were involved in the gardening project were getting such benefit from it and they're able to to now start thinking about getting jobs afterwards in horticulture because the prison is going to be taking it to the next level and offering a horticultural certificate. So it's great for therapy. It's great for keeping these guys from reoffending in the future. And also last year, uh, the, the prison actually had to stop buying in fresh fruit and veg because they had so much coming in. So it saved them mm-hmm. a lot of money. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. And so how long have they been doing doing growing at the at the prison? It's it started quite a while ago and then I think some of the people that were responsible for setting it up left the prison and so it went into a little bit of a decline and then it was rejuvenated a few years ago. And uh they are run completely on donations. So they've got a couple of polytunnels and tools, but everything that they use is donated and in fact i brought in an entire bag of uh, gardening books and uh, a shoebox full of seeds for them this year i organized a seed swap and so everything that was left over i, I took over to them so yeah they're, they're using all of these donations to build up their program and take it into the future brilliant excellent that sounds a great project definitely definitely excellent so a few questions that we we ask everybody um and uh, you've mentioned one of your failures with the soap making early on um <laughs> but if you um have you had any noticeable failures other than that oh god fail all the time but you learn from from your mistakes and then you move on from it i, I remember one year that I'd read on uh, quite a few American gardening sites about different mulches that you can use. And I bought an entire wheel of straw (laughs) and I put it everywhere on my allotment. Now, in some places that aren't as damp and a bit cool in temperature, I'm sure it's fabulous. But here on the Isle of Man, it just, it basically resulted in slugmageddon. (laughs) (laughs) so and actually i i feel terrible but i had actually told this to another allotment here and she too used straw that year 
and she was so disheartened that she actually gave up her plot after that. I feel oh. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I kept going. <laughs> so you started off with uh, with a minus one in the inspirational bracket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll lure her back eventually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, she's got she's got some kids now and a, and a baby. That was the the real reason. But she's like, I can't handle it. <laughs> but, but but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that you know we all make mistakes we all learn from them and i i share my my kind of challenges and mistakes online as well and, and oftentimes when i do a youtube video and there's something that i'm not quite sure about um in the one that i'm putting out tonight i have a, a jostaberry and it has a jostaberry leaf netting disease well i'm not quite exactly sure what it is there isn't a whole lot of information about it online so I'm asking people, do you have any information that you can share about control of, uh, of what's happening to the leaves? And the thing is, is that the internet is an incredible community of people. And there could be the most obscure kind of thing out there that you might not be able to find easily in a book. And they'll you know, leave it as a comment. And it's so helpful. Yeah, definitely. It's um, there's generally speaking always somewhere out someone out there who's come across it and and maybe through through looking it up or or stumbling across someone who who has a plot next to them uh, who said oh I had that last year. Mm. Um, there's normally normally someone out there who who can at the very least help a little. Yes, absolutely, and I I do my own part in sharing the information that, that I know as well. Good, good, um, and. When you're you're out and about in the in the garden, or or maybe in your case, um, when you're making something, is there a particular tool you have uh, that you you wouldn't be without? My onion hoe. I use it for everything. I know it's just supposed to be for onions, but I use it for digging. I use it for weeding. I use it for everything. And I lost it recently in my allotment, and I was without it for about a week and a half, and it was like being without my mobile phone or watch or something like that. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I, I love my onion hoe. They're not uh, tools that are used as much as they used to be. No, I've never seen anyone use them before. And I came across it just randomly and picked it up. And it is it has become my absolute favorite tool. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and when you first started getting into to the gardening or, or, or maybe when you was younger, have you got a particular book or a person that really inspired you to to really start well i'll tell you it's in two parts so i i grew up in a family that gardens and kept livestock and so my grandmother first of all so when i started kind of thinking about gardening again i was remembering when i was a kid and you know digging up potatoes with grandma and uh, picking swiss chard and picking raspberries and all of that and then the second, and then I went through this hiatus in my teens and twenties where I didn't garden at all. And then uh, when I was living in London, I discovered Gardener's World. And so I became really inspired by Alan Titchmarsh, who was yeah. on the show at the time. And I guess at the same time, I was buying a lot of gardening books and my favorites, which I bought around the same time and is still one of my favorites is John Seymour's The New Self-Sufficient Gardener. And I became really entranced by the illustrations in the book and also, but also the, the practical advice. And it's one of those, I guess, perennially 
relevant books that I think a, a lot of people should maybe check out at the library or pick a copy up somehow. Hmm. And you you appear to be attracted by the um, the self sufficient um, type of of gardening. Would would that be right? You know, I started off that way, and I will say that I'm not a self sufficient gardener. To become a self sufficient gardener, it needs to really become a full time job. So what I what I try to do is create a garden where I'm able to grow things that can go into the kitchen that I can use in the home, but I'm not reliant on it a hundred percent. I still have a job and my, my job is, you know, making products and making soap and, and offering ideas to other people. But if, if I, if it came down to feeding myself in the garden, it would be very tough work. I think you'd have to be a market gardener style gardener for that to work. But having that kind of the aspiration of maybe having something that you can eat out of the garden at all times of the year, you know, that, that is something that I think everyone can do. Yeah, definitely. And actually, I think people can start off small. Um, you don't have to um, have a massive plot. Um, in fact, actually, that's probably the wrong way to start. Um, maybe just a pot in the corner, especially if you're in a big city or town. Um, just a little salad leaf uh, and go from there. Would you agree with that? Well, I'm, I'm the secretary of our allotment association. So I see a lot of people come in and out and I give people tours and get them set up. And I will agree with that 100%. I think oftentimes people will see gardens in tele on television or in magazines and they want that right now. But the problem is, is that there's a, there's a lot of experience and work that goes into even the smallest space. So if you start off small, and I, I usually say rec I recommend take some containers and if that captures your imagination upgrade to something bigger and before you know it you are able to care for and maintain a full-size allotment but uh, if you just jump in as a beginner and take on a, a huge plot it can get really overwhelming and it's really sad to see people just give up and they just think it's too much hard work but it's like it's like being thrown into a, a pool without knowing how to swim. Yeah, and I think until recently um, with with YouTube and social media and things like that, um, the view that people have had of gardening, and it's a great program, but the view that people have been things like Gardens World where sometimes it can look too good, if that makes any sense. Um, they think, oh, I'll just do this, this, and this, and I've got a lovely garden. Well, it's it's aspirational and it's television, so that yeah. that is what it is. It's uh, if that's the job. If if it was, if it was a television program about grubby weedy allotments, I'm sure their viewership would be a lot lower. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that uh, the reality is, is is that there is a side to gardening that is about, I guess, maintenance and weeds and the dirtier side that you don't see as often in media. And you have to be prepared for some hard work and for failures and to keep going as well, because you have to persevere through learning any skill. Mm, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so what's uh, have you got anything coming up for you? Any plans for the future? Well, I mean, I've got Gardener's World next week. That's actually taken up a lot of my time recently uh, preparing for that. I, I had to do all the props because they had to fly in and they had minimal kind of space. And I'm curious to see how my, my website will react from that, if people will find me. Um, 
Well, I've, uh, it's interesting. I've got a slight insight in that. Um, oh, do you? Go on. So we was at Hampton Court last week, uh, and we were we were next to um, a grower who was featured on Gardener's World uh, at Chapsworth Flower Show. Um, now I won't won't mention the figures, but I'm trying to think of the percentage. So their orders over one weekend, I think, were roughly uh, will it be 150 percent higher? Wow! Something, wow! That's something incredible. like that. Um, now they sold a relatively low cost item, so mm-hmm. whether that had a a bearing on it, nice and easy for people to get it. Um, uh, but yeah, they and they still. Uh, so Chatsworth Flower Show was at the beginning of June. They're still struggling to keep up with the uh, the publicity uh, that 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 caused. So, in a good way, it caused them uh, some interesting work. <laughs> Well, that's good to know because I'm actually in currently I'm working on a guide featuring a lot more information about the topics I'm going to be covering in the segments. And so if people find me online, they'll be able to find that guide as well. Brilliant. Excellent. And I'm sure that's going to go really well for you. And I I, I will certainly be be checking it out. Um, So, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, So where can people find out a bit about you? My website is lovelygreens.com and from there there's links to various other places, my social media, etc. But my my other main channel is YouTube. So that's youtube.com slash lovelygreens. And um, you can find me over there and I respond to comments and any of the fields. If you have any questions, you can get in touch. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you for joining us. It's been really interesting talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. No problem at all. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Plants and Me podcast. We'll be back soon. If you can't get enough of all things plant-related, pop over to plants-uk.co.uk. And if you enjoy our podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.